open your uh, copy of God's Word to uh, the book of Psalms. We'll be in chapter 40 today. So um, if you open up your Bible to the middle, you'll find the book of Psalms. You can look for chapter 40 there. Um, And before we get started, I just wanted to uh, thank a few people uh, here today, actually more than a few people who helped make things go at Redemption Hill. So um, most of you are aware that this past week we had our soccer nights week for uh, kids ages 5 to 12 in Medford, a free soccer clinic uh, that we hosted for them and their families. So if you volunteered at soccer nights, I'd love for you just to raise your hand. Don't be shy, all right? You're not bragging. I'm bragging on you. Okay, so uh, just raise your hand. Let's give it up for everyone who, um, who volunteered at soccer nights. It was an awesome week. We battled through some rain and uh, had, a, had a great week with the kids, and uh, the parents were super appreciative. And on that note, I would love to just give a personal shout-out and thank you to our site director, Pastor John Chastain, and our coaching director, Chris Kinlaw, uh, for all the uh, above and beyond work that they do every year on this. So thank you guys. We couldn't have done. It wouldn't have been as, as awesome as it was without all of your effort months beforehand. And then uh, also, this is the last Sunday that our summer interns will be with us. So um, our summer link crew has done an awesome job helping us make Serve Medford Week happen, helping us make Soccer Nights Week happen, reaching out in the community, serving not just our community, the families of Redemption Hill, our, our leadership team. So I want to ask these guys to stand. Don't, yeah, that's right. Stand up. Thank you. And let's give it up for them, all their effort uh, over the past seven weeks. We're going to miss you guys. Uh, but we look forward to our retur- return trip. We're sure at least 50% of you are going to move to Boston anyway one day. So thank you so much for uh, your, uh, you know, your contract uh, that you signed before the summer to do that. But uh, you guys can have a seat. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as we, as we get into uh, the, the Bible this morning, I just wanted to throw out a recommended resource. We're in this series through the Psalms that we're calling True and Greater. And uh, this little resource, the Songs of Jesus by Tim Keller, is an excellent resource. I'll show you what it looks like. So basically, uh, Keller walks through each of the Psalms. He and his wife wrote this together. And uh, it has just a portion of the Psalms in sequential order, a little thought on that Psalm, and then a prayer that you can pray in light of that Psalm. So it's just a great resource uh, to, to take and utilize, not just as we're going through uh, this summer series, but anytime as you're spending time regularly in God's Word. It's a great resource, okay? So let's pray together. Ask God to open our eyes and ears as we hear from His Word today. Father, we are grateful for the work that you're doing in our church. We're thankful for the work that you're doing in each one of our lives. God, we're thankful for how you use ordinary people like us to see uh, your love spread through us to our city at at efforts like soccer nights. And so, God, we thank you for the the privilege of serving you and serving together and making you known through our acts of kindness and service to others. And, Father, it's, it's only by your grace that we are changed. God, we are flawed people. We... Uh, don't measure up uh, to your standard, and yet, God, you love us anyway, and you offer us forgiveness, and you offer us mercy, and you offer us life through Jesus Christ. And so, God, as we open your word today, and as we hear from Psalm chapter 40, Lord, we pray that you would give us open ears. 
God, we pray that we would not just kind of do this because it's what we do oftentimes on Sundays or even every Sunday, God, but that we would truly listen in such a way that we would be ready to receive your words and respond to them today and every day moving forward. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when I was growing up as a kid, I think that the, the flavor of Christianity and the circles that I kind of found myself in, um, the, the dominant note, it wasn't the only note, okay, but the dominant note sounded something like this, okay? God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That's what I heard over and over and over again. And I got to tell you, that's a great message to hear. It is 100% true, okay? God does love us, and God does have a wonderful plan for our lives, okay? But if we just kind of stop there, we can almost think that, like, God is just about all about making us happy and kind of fulfilling, you know, our plans and dreams and miss the fact that what's really happening with the story of Christianity is that God's love for us and his wonderful plan includes us totally getting on board with his agenda and following Jesus with a true and a great commitment to God through him. And so I started to discover this when I started reading the Bible for myself. Okay, I think I learned to read before the seventh grade, but I started reading the Bible for myself in about the seventh grade. And so I was just reading through, you know, portions of the Gospels. I was now maybe listening to, to sermons like this a little differently. And I was hearing verses like Luke 9, 23 and 24 when Jesus says this. Look, if any one of you wants to follow me, if any one of you would come after me, this, this is what happens, okay? You must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life must lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then I would just skip a few verses ahead. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, it says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So in other words, Jesus is saying, like, once you get in on this thing, then it's an all-in kind of commitment. It's like you're not, you're not going to be distracted by that which is around you. You're not going to look back to things that, that used to entice you and pull you away from a commitment to God, but you are all in on this thing. Luke 14, if any of you does not renounce, listen to this, does not renounce everything that he has, he can't be my disciple, he can't follow me. We shouldn't skip over the verse 26. It says, if you don't hate your father, mother, brother, sister, yes, even your own life, if you don't hate your own life, you can't follow me. And that's such a strong word. It's like, what is Jesus talking about? He's saying love everyone, even your enemies. Does he really mean hate? Like, what is that? And, it's the, and, 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 that, and the idea of the Greek there, it means to love less, okay, that, that Jesus is our ultimate priority. And so as we think about what it looks like to hear the message of Christianity and to hear that God has a, a, a wonderful plan for our lives out of his love for us, we need to wrestle with, if we're really going to get in on this thing, it has to be an all-in kind of commitment. At the heart of Christianity is this kind of view of Jesus, that he is 
worth everything we have so that we would follow him no matter the cost. And as we think about that, I would just ask you today, if someone were to kind of be able to maybe follow you around for the next month and just watch how you live your life, look at how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what the topics of the conversations that you enjoy, what what they sound like, Um, I wonder what conclusions they would draw about your commitment to Jesus. Are you living with a commitment that says, God, you were so great and you were so amazing and you have done so much, yes, so much for me that I can't do anything but just give you everything that I am. This is the invitation that we receive from Jesus. And if we're being honest, right, like we all have a lot going on. We all have a lot of priorities in our life. We all have a lot of options on how to spend our time and what to order our lives around. And so in this kind of non-commitment culture where options abound, we can kind of treat Jesus as like one of the many options in our life where maybe we'll kind of prioritize him at times, but then we'll kind of prioritize everything else at other times. But Jesus is saying, like, if you want to be in with me, you'll put me number one and allow all of these other wonderful things to revolve around your commitment to me. And he says, when you do that, in another place, Jesus says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, look, everything is going to be taken care of. You're going to become a better husband. You're going to become a better father. You're going to become a better friend. You're going to become a better worker. You're going to become a better citizen of the community that God's placed you in. And so the question I want to ask us today is, is what will it look like? What does it look like to live with a true and greater commitment to God? And I think the conclusion that we can draw from Psalm 40 is that we would live with an unrestrained and contagious commitment to God. That's the vision of Psalm 40, that that we would be so committed to God that we wouldn't hold anything back, but that we would fully give ourselves to him to the point where our commitment to him becomes contagious to those around us. And so let me give you three keys to what this commitment can look like from Psalm 40, okay? And, and, and the first one is this. Let your commitment flow from God's commitment to you. I want to read this psalm in its entirety, and we're going to look at different verses as we go throughout. Not in sequential order, but we're going to take them uh, theme by theme this morning as we work our way through, okay? So this is a psalm of David to the choir master, as you see the little title above the psalm. And he writes this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear. And put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Who does not turn to the proud to go to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your thoughts and wondrous deeds toward us. None can compare with you. 
I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who sneak to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, God is great. As for me, I am poor and needy but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. What are the three keys to a greater and truer commitment to God? The first one is this, okay? Let your commitment flow from God's commitment to you, okay? Let your commitment flow from God's commitment to you. In other words, let your commitment be motivated by his commitment to be at work in your life. We see that David looks in two directions, okay? The first 10 verses are David looking back to past grace, and then we get a transition to his current circumstances in verse 11 and 12, and now he's looking forward to God's future grace. And so if we want to grow in our commitment to God, letting it be motivated by his commitment to us, first we must look back. And this is what he does at the very beginning of the psalm. Look at what he says. He says, I waited. And the the Hebrew here, it's, it's, it's emphasized twice. It's like, I waited and waited to give the sense that, and waited and waited and waited. So he's, he's waiting for God to come through in his mess. He's waiting for God to bring him out of the despicable circumstances that he finds himself in. He describes it as a pit. Okay, we saw this in the book of Jonah, if you remember from our previous series, that the word pit often referred to a near-death experience. This is not a great situation for David, okay? In fact, um, he, he goes on to say, it's like I'm walking through a miry bog, okay? His feet are weighted down like in a swampland where he feels like he can't escape from his current reality. His only option then is to cry out to God. 
And in his crying, it says that he waited and waited and waited. And maybe that's you today. Like we've, This is what we love about the Psalms, right? It's just like so true to life. It, it, it understands life in our broken world. These are raw emotions that we get from the Psalms, right? And so we've seen really every single week, especially the last two weeks, that life doesn't go always according to plan, right? Life is not always the way that we want it to be. And so I don't know what you're waiting on these days, but my assumption is that you're waiting for something. You may be waiting for a professional breakthrough. You may be waiting for a relationship to change. You may be waiting for God's provision in some area of your life. You may be waiting for a greater victory over the sin struggles that you face on a daily basis. But, 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 but here's the hope for us, okay? And as David looks back, he says, look, this is what happened. Even though I was waiting, 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 God heard my cry. And like, I know, man, I know, man, prayer, <laughs> pray, man, pray every day. Like, and, and, so, and so we can be here this morning. We've already prayed multiple times, right? And so we can kind of have this, like, flippant approach to prayer. It's like, oh, yeah, God hears me. But can we just pause on that for a second? Like, God, <laughs> the maker of the galaxies, that God, the, like the only creator in the universe, that God, he hears you. That's amazing. Like that should stop us in our tracks. That God would hear us. That God would be, as it says, inclined. Like what a picture of God. God is leaning in. He wants to know what's on our heart. He cares about our mess. He's inclined to hear us. And then it says that this God drew us up. He drew David up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set his feet on a rock, making his steps secure. And then it says that he put a new song in David's mouth, a song of praise to his God. Okay, so in other words, like the lesson here is this. God is in our mess. The, the, the God-centeredness of David's experience, like God hears, God inclines, God delivers, God draws us up. He sets our feet on a rock. He puts a new song in our mouth. This is the past grace of God that David is, is enjoying here. He's saying, God, look at what you've done. You are amazing, God. This commitment that David is, is, is going to talk about, it begins with the work of God in his life, how committed God is to being at work in David's life. But it's not just what he's done in the past. It's what he's going to do today and tomorrow. Because if you move down to verses 11 and 12, look at these. It, it says this. Look at, look at verse 12. This is the current reality, okay? And this is not, not a pretty picture once again, okay? Like he was in the miry bog, but now he's in another miry bog, in another pit. And he says this. He says, for evils have encompassed me. And they've encompassed me beyond number, okay? So, so just think about it, right? And maybe you can resonate with this today, all right? Is that, man, there are a lot of things going on around you that are broken, that are messed up, that you wish were different. Evils are all around us. They have encompassed us. 
But then what I really appreciate about David, and I would just pose this to you, only someone that knows God and that knows the unrestrained mercy of God can talk more about, check this out, the evil within them than the evil around them. Because this is what David says, look, like, evils are all around me, they've encompassed me, but then it says, look, look at that, he spends more time saying, my, my iniquities, iniquities is a word for, for sin, it's, man, I have crossed the line of God's intention for me, I have disregarded what he wanted for me, and so I have stepped out of God's plan for my life many, many times, in fact, so much so that my iniquities have overtaken me. So much that, that I can't even see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart is this poetic imagery of, of saying how emotionally he, distraught he was over his sinfulness. He says, my heart fails me. The life has been taken out of me because of my sin. Not just evil around me. We're, we're really good at seeing all that, right? But it's a little harder to look in the mirror and say, look, I've got some issues. And yet David, in this pit, says, look, God's still there. And God is going to come through. Look at, look at his hope and future grace. Look in verse 11. It says, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. You won't hold it back. You will continue to pour out your steadfast love and your faithfulness. You are going to preserve my life. God cares for us. We are never beyond the reach of God's grace. It doesn't matter how, how many times you have blown it, how many times you said, look, God, I want to be committed to you, and then you back off of that commitment. Okay, God has made himself available to us to bring us back into a relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. And so this is David's experience, but as we think about what God has done for us through Jesus, we should be even more amazed at God's past grace, which should give us confidence for future grace to keep moving forward with this kind of amazing level of commitment to him. And so what is that good news that I'm talking about? Well, this, this imagery of a pit sounds like the reality of what happens when we understand the gospel. That, that God made us to know him and love him and worship him with our lives, but none of us have done that. Romans 3.23 says, for all, that's like 100% of us here today, okay, all have sinned, missed the mark of God's intentions, rebelled against him, and fallen short of his glorious standard, okay? So God is glorious, he's perfect, he says, I want you to reflect me and how glorious I am, and none of us have done that perfectly. In fact, we have done that massively imperfectly. And the, the wages for our sin, what we earn for our sin, the result of sin is death. That's what Romans 6.23 says. The wages of sin is death. Sin separates us from God. Not just physical death one day, but spiritual death presently apart from God's grace. And eternal separation from God if we don't receive God's gift to, to make all of that wrongness right. But God has made a way. Even though we were in the pit, in the miry bog of our sin, God has pursued us through Jesus so that God shows his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus took our place. He was our substitute on the cross. That if we look to him, Romans 10, 9 would then go on to say, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That sounds like Psalm 40, verse 1. He heard my cry. But, 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 but here's the thing, right? We, we have to... We have to see that we have this barrier between us and God and we have to cry out for his mercy. And so I would just ask you this morning, like, have, you, have you taken that step of faith? Have you cried out for God's mercy? Have you asked God to, to change you, to forgive you of your sinfulness and how that sin separated you from him? That's available to every one of us today. You would say, Tanner, I'm thinking about this. This is new to me. That we understand. We want to help you walk with you on your spiritual journey, no matter where you are. But I would just say this. like, If you are in Christ and you have received that gift of life that Jesus offers to all of us, I'm just hoping and praying and believing that as we're reading those verses, like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. You know, like, that should move our hearts to say, like, God, you did that for me. How could I not respond and give you everything that I am? Amen? Let our commitment flow from God's commitment to us. And then when, when we do that, right, like, when we see God clearly, then we are going to be in a position to live out verses 6 through 8, which teach us that our commitment should imitate the commitment of Jesus Christ. Okay, so look in verses 6 through 8 again. It says this, in sacrifices and offering, you have not delighted. Okay, so there's a pause right there. Okay, like I know you just looked down your Bible, and now I'm asking you to look back up. All right, so like this is, this is a shocking statement. That the king of Israel, David, King David, would say, hey, uh, guess what? God, I know that you don't delight in sacrifices and offerings. Like everyone would say, like, David, what are you talking about? God has told us in his law, okay, in his instructions to us, that we are to offer all kinds of sacrifices and offerings as a picture of our sorrow for our sin, of, of, of the, 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 the cleansing that we need from our sin, we are to bring these animals and these, these offerings to you as sacrifices before you. And so what is David saying here? Well, if we keep reading, it, 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 we, we get an idea. It says, but you have given me an open ear. In other words, what God wants from us is not Empty ritualistic practices, okay, where our hearts are not really engaged. You know what I'm saying? Like we come in and we sing a song, but our hearts aren't moved. We go to group, and we're not really trying to live in community. We open up the Bible, but they're just words on a page. You know what I'm saying? We've all been there, and we're just kind of going through the spiritual motions. But God is saying, look, I'm not interested in your actions if your heart is not all in in the action." And so the Hebrew here, uh, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, by the way. That's why I talked about the Hebrew a little bit. Um, there's a little footnote in your Bible maybe that says, the Hebrew says, ears you have dug for me, okay? It's a, like a poetic way of saying that God has given us ears to listen to his plans for us, his instructions for us. And if God has our ears, if we're really listening to him, then God will have us. He'll have all of who we are. This is, this is what God is after here. 
He wants us to, to listen to him intently so that we will not simply just hear his words, but so that we will live out his words. You may be wondering, Tanner, like how does God speak to us? I, mean, I, think, I think it's kind of implied by what we're doing here today, but, but verse 7 makes it explicit. It says, then I said, behold, I have come. I love that statement. There's this willingness. There's this readiness. There's this desire to put anything on the table to say, God, whatever you ask of me, I am ready to follow through. And, and, then, and then we have the key in the final phrase of verse 7. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. So, so how do we know what God wants? How do we know God's instructions, his directions for us? It, it is written in the scroll. It is written in his word. It is written in the pages of the Bible. David as king, there were requirements for the king of Israel to live out in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. And so, so David's like, hey, I know what you expect of kings, and, and I am trying to put my whole heart into that assignment. The problem for us is not that we do not know what God wants, okay? Can I just, like, be very clear about that? Our problem is, that, that, is not that we're missing the, the instructions. Our problem is that we set aside the instructions, right? It's like, if, have you ever bought something that requires assembly, like maybe a shelving unit, you know, maybe a, a, a new piece of furniture, okay, like, I'll just speak for myself. I don't know if you can identify with this, but, but you know, when you pull out the, the, the pieces and you see, you know, the, 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 you know all of the, the screws and the bolts and, and whatnot, you're kind of thinking, like, man, I got this, right? I don't, these instructions, man, 45 steps, man. Like, I can figure this out. It can't be that hard, you know what I'm saying? Put the little, you know, whatever they're called up in there. And, and, and I can just think back to the time when we bought the first crib for Parker, our, our daughter, who's eight years old now. And um, it just so happens that my father-in-law was, was with us, and my father-in-law was a contractor, okay? So he built houses, and, you know, I'm just trying to earn some respect here. So I'm thinking, you know what? If this man can build a house, I can build a crib. So I set the directions aside, and he was just kind of, you know, he was hanging out. He wanted to see what I could do, okay? And, and, and let me just tell you, so after the third step, man, I was, like, peeking over my shoulder, hoping he wasn't, because I was trying to peek at the instructions, you know? But he could come in, and he could just, he could put it together because he was that good, right? But when it comes to the, to the, to the, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the way that we live our lives, none of us are that good, right? We're just not. We can't set aside the directions. We can't push aside the instructions. We, we need to hear from God. So our problem is not that we don't have the instructions. The problem is that we do not desire to live out these instructions and live them out in such a way that verse 8 could be true, that we actually delight in them, that we actually enjoy living for God. What an amazing thought, right? That, that Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, that we get to follow him with absolute joy in our souls, right? Smiles on our faces because of who he is and what he has done for us. And so as we, as we, we think about what this looks like, I, I, just a few weeks ago we started in Psalm 1, right? And it said that blessed is the person who doesn't, you know, 
is not influenced by, you know, wicked people, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. On, on, on God's law, they meditate day and night, okay? So this is like instructions, directions. We're thinking about them all the time. So for me, uh, pastors are just like you, all right? When we hear the word, we're thinking, how can we take this and live it out this week? What's one takeaway? That's a great question. Anytime you hear a sermon, God, what's one thing that you want me to, to take and apply this week? And so for me, it was quite simple. It's like, I need to get back on the, the, the effort of meditating on God's word. So Romans chapter 6 was something that I had just been thinking about. And, I, and I've been uh, started to, to read it every day, multiple times a day. And, and verse 13 began to grab my heart. It says, um, um, let me help get it started here. There we go. Thank you. So I've been meditating on it. Do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness. Okay, so let me stop there. What are, what are our members? Our, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet, our thoughts, our desires, our loves. Don't present your members as instruments, okay, a tool for a design purpose. Don't present them as instruments for unrighteousness, but check this out. But present yourself to God as one who has been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And so the idea here is that everything that we are, we would give ourselves completely wholeheartedly to God as an act of worship to him, that everything is, is, is on the table. Nothing is off the table. God, if, if you made me, then before you even ask me to do anything, because you made me, because you love me, because you know what's best for me, my yes is on the table. This is the kind of disposition that we're called to when we delight in, in God's ways, when we fulfill his will for our life. And I would just post to you that, that when you start living this way, there is no limit to how God can work through your life. There is no limit to how God can choose to use you. So I, I know we have that voice, right, from God's enemy that's saying, look, God can't use you. Why would God use you? Look how many times you failed. Look how many times you blew it. Look how many times you don't measure up. But there's a better voice that's saying, look how forgiven you are. Look how loved you are. Look how many times I've picked you, you up when you blew it. You measure up because you are a child of the king. You have every resource at your disposal because you belong to me. Jesus always speaks a better word. And so we can move forward with confidence, right? We can perform his will. Like, listen, don't, please don't ever limit how God can use you. Like, man, I'm just, I'm, in this, I'm just here, you know, like, take a step. If, if you're not serving in some tangible way, we can help you with that. As a church, we have these, uh, these, these groups called teams, okay? And teams uh, serve uh, on Sundays and serve beyond Sundays. And so God has uniquely designed us all with different gifts and personalities and abilities. And so God wants to use you in your shape to 
serve his purposes in our world, in our church. Some of you may, God may lead to a greater leadership role in our church. One of our prayers as pastors is that we would see more pastors raised up within our church. Maybe some of you would go on and, and, and give a summer to God, give a year to God, go serve on the mission field for your, for your life. There's absolutely no limit to how God can use someone that is committed to him. And we see this great commitment in the most clear way as we look at the person of Jesus. And so Hebrews 10 puts it like this, okay? Um, verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, what? What did he say? Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Does that, does that sound familiar? But a body you have prepared for me, it's like that open ear pointing to the totality of our lives. Um, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus performed the will of God perfectly as the true and greater David, as we saw in, in Psalm 1, as the true and greater person. So much, I, I love, one of, one of my favorite stories from um, the life of Jesus is when he was uh, having a conversation with uh, a woman at, in Samaria who was getting a drink of water at, the, at a well, okay? And so this is in John chapter 4, and, and he's pressing in on what's happening in her life, and he's offering her the gift of not just a drink of water, but, but a, a drink that would satisfy her forever, namely himself, okay? And so he's in this deep conversation about what's happened in her life, and the disciples, his closest followers, had, you know, gone into the city, the village, to get some food, and they come back, and they say, like, Jesus, you must be hungry. Here's some food. And Jesus, like, I love how Jesus operates, you know, with his followers. He's like, hey, yo, I have food you don't know, you know nothing about. And, and so they're kind of talking to each other, like, what is this, wh what's he talking about? Like, did he, did someone give him food? Like, did he, did he kind of have this conversation, but leave and go find something and come back? Like, and Jesus knows they're talking about this, and he says this, my food is to accomplish the will of him who sent me. So, so in other words, for, for Jesus, what energized him was doing what God wanted. What gave him life, what sustained him was taking the next step that God put in front of him. Jesus was so completely committed to the will of his father, that this was the essential thing. This was more important to him than even physical bread. This is what kept him going, and this is what we are called to as well. So if we're going to be committed in a truer and a greater way, our commitment should imitate that of Jesus Christ. And then finally, our commitment should be contagious, okay? And we see this all throughout Psalm 40. If you, if you look back in verse 3, what, is it, what does it say? 
He says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Okay, so this is, the, this is a, a, an action of someone that is displaying a truer and greater commitment to God. He's saying, when I see the work of God, how he's lifting me up on a rock out of the pit of destruction, then I am going to sing a new song of praise to him, giving him all the credit for what he's done in my life. And when that happens, other people are going to see what's happening in my life, that the good work that God is doing, and then they are going to have a newfound respect and fear of God and actually put their trust in him as well. So, so do you see how our commitment can become contagious to those around us? Verse 5 is probably one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. He's, he's so captivated by God, right, that he says, God, you have multiplied. Because this thing, like, he has stacked up his blessings toward us. He has so many amazing thoughts. Like someone that you love, you think about, right? Can you imagine that God is actually thinking about you again and again and again? He's multiplying his thoughts toward you. 1 John 3, 1 says that he has lavished his love on us. Ephesians 1, 3 says that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. So, so God's thoughts toward us just keep stacking up as does his wondrous deeds. So like God is at work changing us, pulling us out of Pit after pit, he is making us more like Jesus. So I don't know if you've ever been in the pit of worry or the pit of depression or the pit of viewing pornography or you name the pit, like God is able to pull us out. These are wondrous deeds every time that God does it. And so David says, you know what? In light of God's blessings, I am going to talk about them. I'm going to proclaim them. I'm going to tell more stories of the work of God in my life, even though there are more stories than I can begin to count or that I can begin to tell with my life. God is doing more in your life than you have the ability to even see, much less communicate how much he has done for you. And so I'm just wondering if, if, A, if you see them, B, if that moves you, and C, if that moves you to the point of actually talking about them, right? Like, so this doesn't have to be complex, right? Like, this doesn't have to be like Pastor Tanner getting up on a stage, talking to a couple hundred people about God's work, okay? They should be like, hey, what'd you do last week? Oh, I went to soccer nights. It was crazy, man. There were 300 kids there throughout the week, and, you know, we were teaching them to play soccer. They were absolutely bananas. It rained on us twice. But you know what? As I was serving, I was reminded that, that man, you have so much fulfillment when you put others before yourself and you serve. And, and, and I believe that's true because that's, that's the way God made me, and, and he's moved me to give of my time for the benefit of others. This is like whatever is happening in our lives, we just can talk about it in a natural way and we attach the credit to God. I will proclaim and tell of them, but they are more than can be told. And so as we've talked about this year, steps change stories. Like God wants us to take a step. And, and as we take those steps, he is writing his good story in our life that as we have these stories to tell, like that we wouldn't sit on them and just kind of keep them to ourselves, but that we would tell of them both to those who have yet to truly believe in 
God through Jesus, okay, but then also to one another. In verses 9 and 10, David says, look, I'm, I'm going to tell of this glad news in the great congregation. Verse 10, I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from what? The great congregation. He's like, so don't think that your story is just for someone who has yet to step into the faith of Jesus, but your story is for that person and the person that you know is walking with God every single day. Because what happens is that when you are reflecting on God's story, that that becomes contagious within you. You see it and you want to talk about it more and more and more. If you don't mind, I'm just going to talk about Lecrae who says, Count them up, count them up, count them up. Line them up, line them up, line them up. I swear the sun is shining on on me and my heart no matter the trouble surrounding us. And they don't see that it's a lot of us. They don't know we move them anonymous. Don't take that credit. I know where we get it. Then blessing be coming from God above. Some of you are nodding your head because you know that song. Some of you are like, I don't even know what he just said. But the point is this, all right? The point is this, that blessings are coming from God so much so that we can just count them one by one and line them up one by one. And we want to talk about them in such a way that we are giving God the credit for what he's doing. And as we do, as we communicate those stories, Not only are we going to want to tell more stories, but those around us are going to have their own stories to tell, and they are going to be quicker to tell those stories also. Let your commitment to God be contagious. So the question that I have for us today is, what is God doing in your life? What, what story do you have to tell? What good work is he doing? Like, in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the mess, in spite of your failings, in spite of the evil around you, God is at work in each person's life, and you have a story to tell. And so I hope that you could say with this psalmist, look, I, I want to give my life to God in such an unreserved way that not only will those who doubt God and mock God be ashamed that they didn't put their trust in him, but so that every person who does, as verse 16 says, may rejoice and be glad in you, may say continually, great is the Lord. That is our privilege as those who follow Jesus. And so I would just say this, as, as Dan and the team come out to lead us in a song, listen, if, if you've never started your journey of faith with Jesus by receiving that great commitment from God to us through his son, Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, his despicable death in our place, and his amazing resurrection, like if you've never stepped into that journey of faith, then why not do so today? But if you have stepped into the journey of faith, if you consider yourself a Christian, then I would ask you, why not take a new step toward a truer and a greater commitment to God with your life? What I, I want to do is just lead us in a time of prayer, and I want you just, to, just for a few seconds to reflect on what God has done in your life. And so if you would, let me lead us in prayer, and just if you would begin by thinking about what God has done for you, you even in this past week. God, would you show us, would you remind us of how kind you have been to us? Father, I pray that that you would help us to remember the gospel and how you have lavished your love on us, that you've held nothing back, that you have not restrained your mercy toward us. 
And God, in spite and in light of in light of your work, in light of your mercy, God, may you move us to this true and greater commitment to live our lives for you in such a way that it would be contagious, that our families would be different, that our, our neighborhoods would be different, that our city would be different. That more and more people would say in this place known as Redemption Hill Church, these, these people who make up Redemption Hill and those who one day will come into our midst, God, that we would say together, great is the Lord. We ask this through Christ we pray. Amen.